listening to the Film Monsters Podcast with me and Ray. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Film Monsters Podcast. I'm Nate. And as I have been the whole year since we begun, I'm still Ray. And, Ray, we released our Christmas episode, but most people don't know with the way we record this, it's still not Christmas yet. So we're still in, like, the holiday spirit here, but we are winding down to the end of the year. And so Ray and I thought it would be a fun episode or two episodes just to make sure we get enough time time to cover everything that we want to, that we are going to talk about our 20 favorite films of 2022, which I know we talked about it before, but it was a really hard list to make. Extremely hard. You have no, I'm still not sure I'm like fully satisfied with my list. Well, and I want to say too, and I'm sure that you agree with this. I get so sick sometimes of people saying that like cinema is dying and that great movies don't get made anymore. 2022 has been an incredible year for film. Yeah, it's been a monster of a year. And that is why I feel like I'm still not quite satisfied with my list. Not because, oh, I'm just kind of picking and choosing last minute stuff. No, it's because I just couldn't. It was impossible to try to pick 20 movies objectively. Exactly. And that's that's what's so difficult is like, I, I told you before the podcast started, but I watched like 90 some new releases this year and making my list, I think in my top films of 2022, I had like 32 or 33 movies on there. And like, there's so many movies I loved that I ended up leaving off the list, but it's like so hard because there's movies that I like just a little bit more. And that's just, that's what makes it so difficult for me. Yeah, same. Well, and then the other thing for me too is like, I didn't watch nearly as many movies. I think my list ended up being some like some 30 or 40 movies, but that's still like, I still had to slash at least 15 movies out of that list, like just off the get go. That was just really frustrating to begin with. Well, I think it, it goes to be, I think it shows something because I think a lot of it has to deal with, you know, COVID was really hard on filmmakers because they couldn't film things the same way. And there was essentially an entire year where quality content was more difficult to produce. And I feel like a lot of these filmmakers are at a creative peak. They're, they're, they're just wanting to put out great material. And we have reaped the benefits this year and last year. I feel like post-COVID, we've gotten some really amazing works of film. Oh, yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, in fact, as we talk... I just remembered one movie and I'm making one last minute change, switch on my on my list. And that's and that's totally fine. So Ray and I discussed it before the podcast, but one of the things we wanted to do really quick, and I thought this was cool that Ray brought this up, is we just both kind of wanted to talk about when we put these lists together, uh, how we kind of uh, go about putting these lists together and like what is the criteria to have a film land on one of these lists. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I guess I can go first. I mean, for me, the criteria that I use is it's very, very basic. Like, um, obviously, did I like the film? That one goes without saying. But um, also, like, for me, there's a few things that I that I look for in the film. Uh, I don't necessarily look at, like, the, the tomato meter or film reviews or anything like that. I, I do try to make my own mind about some of these films. One of the things that I look at is A, enjoyability. I mean, is this a movie that, that I thought it was amazing, but am I never going to rewatch? Like a perfect example for me, it was A Marriage Story, for example, a few years ago. The movie is 
pitch perfect. I love that movie so much. I don't think I can rewatch it again. It was my number two of the year. <laughs> I I don't think seeing like the thing is like I will defend to the death how amazing that movie is, but I don't think I can rewatch it. It's just too 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 draining for me. Um, so that's a perfect example. Like a mo- a type of movie like that probably wouldn't make my list for me personally because it's just like so emotionally draining. I don't know if I can rewatch it. So rewatchability has a part to do with what my list. Also, like how how much did it stick with me? That stickiness factor. Like, is it a movie that like you know did I forget about it ten minutes after I walked out of the movie theater, or am I still thinking about it? Did it have a cool message? You know, and then I and then obviously you look at cinematography, writing, directing. All of that good stuff too, but I feel like for me the two main things are enjoyability. How much can I do? I see myself rewatching this movie. Do I see myself sharing it with others and being excited? Um, and did it stick with me? Is it a movie that I'm still thinking about it? That it's still embedded in the back of my brain that I really like. Whether I'm excited to rewatch it, pick it up on Blu-ray. Whether I'm excited to that's another thing. Am I going to go pick it up on Blu-ray or am I just kind of done with it? So like stuff like that are some of the things that I look at when when I pick make my lists. Yeah, so for me, I feel like uh, the only thing I would disagree with you on for yours is rewatchability factor for me doesn't really even occur in my mind. Because, uh, like, I, I know a lot of people, I'm, I'm obviously a sadistic person. I watch a lot of really depressing films over and over and over again because I like that guttural emotional reaction. I like to feel things on that level and not a lot of movies can pull that type of a reaction out of me. And so when a movie can, I'm actually really inclined to watch it again because I like to have those level of feelings pulled for me. I would say for my list, the first thing I look at is quality and the second thing I look at is how much it impacts me. So like what you said, if I leave the theater and I can't stop thinking about a movie for weeks, weeks after I watch it, it's going to be high on my list. That's just how it works. Like if, if it resonates with me and it sticks with me for a really long time, that is probably the most important factor. And then after that is obviously artistic intent where you talk about like direction, cinematography, performances, all that comes into play. But I think as far as how a movie resonates with me and sticks with me in my brain is, uh, is really where it'll end up on my list. So I think we both have similar criteria. Like, obviously, I'm more sadistic, so I'll rewatch really depressing, awful, miserable movies multiple times. But I, th- I think we're both on the same page of, like, it, it has a lot to do with quality and how material sticks with us. Right, but that's just it, though. Like, you, you, you when I said rewatchability, I never said, oh, is it a lighthearted, fun family movie? It's, are you willing to be rewatching these films? Um, so it's just how it hits me that's where the the emotional impact comes in like some movies are amazing but i just i can't see myself rewatching them and there are some movies that are depressing as crap that i can see myself rewatching them every other week so that's what i'm saying it's like it's rewatchability for me personally like i may not be able to rewatch a marriage story but i can see myself rewatching you know like name some other depressing movie I can see myself rewatching it. So I think it's just for me personally. That's what, then that's the beauty about these lists is that they're so personal to everybody. I've posted lists before where people be like, really? You put Venom on your top 20? I was like, yeah. <laughs> that's, and it's all about how things impact you. And I think that's a really cool, that's a really cool thing is the, the way movies impact people differently. And uh, I, I think that's really awesome. And I'm very excited to hear 
what your list is and where things sort of fall into place for you. Because uh, similar to me, I feel like, I don't know, it's going to be really interesting to see how these pan out side by side. Because I, just from the way we've talked about it with each other, I feel like they're going to be vastly different. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think they're going to be pretty different. But um, but I think we'll still have cr- some crossovers that I'm excited for. But before we jump on those, though, Nate, I wanted to ask you, what were some, A, some let's let's go through real quickly. I want to hear three honorable mentions from you and three movies that you wanted to fit in, but you just you just couldn't, despite the all the time you were able to allow yourself to watch some movies. Yeah, so I feel like as far as like the the movies that I really wanted to see that I feel like I didn't get a chance to, Tar is probably my number one right now. Uh, with Kate Blanchett because so many people were talking about that movie. Uh, the Whale, the Brendan Fraser film, is another one I haven't seen yet. And then probably Damien Chazelle's Babylon. Uh, those are three movies I really wanted to watch that I feel like possibly could end up on this list from a quality standpoint. I just haven't had a chance to see them. And then a few films that I wanted to mention uh, that did not land on my list. The Fallout starring Jenna Ortega, which was a, a movie about kids surviving a school shooting. It was beautiful. It barely made it off my list. Funny Pages, which is a A24 produced film that went directly to streaming. Super darkly comedic. It was wonderful. I loved it. Just barely made it off. And then surprisingly enough, Terrifier 2, the sequel to Terrifier, really close to making it on my list. I loved it. It's an incredible slasher, but they just barely missed. How about you? So for movies that I missed, um, I didn't get to watch Bones and all. Um, I just couldn't find the time. I really wanted to. I know you sang high praises of that of that film. Um, I just couldn't find the time to go see it. I was hoping to be able to sneak it in like last night or something, but it's already off theaters at least near me. Babylon, I agree with you. That's another one that I really wanted to sneak in. But this is something that frustrates me about like season like. Oscar season it's like all these great movies get released like back to back in like November and December that it's so hard to make the time to watch them um and then the other one this was a Netflix movie that I really wanted to see but it was just it's a really lengthy movie it's over three hours long and I just couldn't find the time to to sneak it in um and and I have no excuse um because it's been out for a while I just never made the time for it It was RRR yeah that's also on my list I it's just it's so long it's so long and it's just trying to find the time to do it. And then when you have the holidays coming, um, family, work, you know, it's it's just, that's the problem with long movies. I don't mind a long movie, but I, I do have to invest the time in it. So those three movies, unfortunately, I didn't get to see um, that I really wanted to. And as far as honorable mentions, um, one of them was one that I watched this morning, the Glass Onion and Knives Out mystery um, it was fun. It was a fun movie, but it just kind of felt like a rehash of the first one. It was greatly acted. It was it was clever. It was funny. Um, they found a way how to incorporate the 2020 um, COVID-19 pandemic in a very clever way. Um, I really enjoyed it. It just ended up being... It was one of those movies that, like I was mentioning earlier, I'm probably going to forget here by the end of the day, you know? Um, it was fun, but that's just all it was. It was fun. Um, the other one that got edged out of my list was um, the film After Yang. Beautiful movie. We've talked about this one in the past. Beautiful film. Um, it was... Ba- like, I was... That was the one that I was saying. It's like, oh, you know, I had a... a I had it set up and I had a last minute change after Yang was like my number 20 and just got etched out because I remembered another one real quick that I like more that we'll talk about in a minute. But after Yang, beautiful movie. It was amazing. I, I really, really enjoyed it. 
And a third one that I really enjoyed, and you're going to be disappointed that this one didn't make it on my list, but it was On the Count of Three. Um, on the Count of Three, it's kind of like what I was talking about earlier. It was an amazing movie. I can't, I can't say enough things about On the Count of Three, but kind of boils down to: Am I going to be? Is this one that it, one that I'm going to be rewatching often? I don't think so. Having ha, dealing with a lot of like mental health issues, um, that movie can be a little hard to watch at times. So um, it's funny, it's clever, and it's amazing, and I can't recommend it enough. But it will take like maybe me sitting down and showing it to someone for me to rewatch it rather than just watching out of my own accord. But it is an amazing movie. I can't stress that enough. Yeah, it really is. Those were some great picks, and I'm excited to talk about our top 20s. Uh, but today we are going to focus on films number 20 through 11. And then the next episode we'll do our top 10. So I'm really excited about that. That'll give some people some time to digest uh, the ones that we picked today. So would you like me to go first or do you want to go first today, sir? Totally up to you. I'll go first because um, my number 20... Um goes perfectly along with the mood you know you said it, it, there was a blizzard in your in your town it's cold over here it snowed last night everything is white outside and i just can't help but still somehow be in like that christmas spirit so my number 120 movie and the only reason why i landed on number 120 is because this is purely a seasonal movie it's violent night i loved violent night and honestly i would have put it in the honorable mentions uh it didn't make my top 20 but it's probably one of my favorite holiday films i've seen in years it's amazing it's gonna be one that i am it's gonna be on every rotation starting next christmas um i'm going to buy that as soon as, soon as it's out on blu-ray i'm gonna pick it up and it's gonna be on my constant rotation and it's, i can see this movie you know growing up in the in the echelons of like krampus or gremlins or home alone like i can see this movie really like becoming a staple for my for my every year christmas traditions so it's still in theaters um you can actually rent it. It's for at theaters at home now. You can rent it at home. So honestly, if like you can get a group together and like split 20 bucks, you know, four or five ways, like it's a good time. Trust me. And yeah, no, Violent Night is my number 20 just because I feel like Violent Night is going to be one of those movies that it will be a yearly tradition to watch for sure as soon as I pick it up on Blu-ray. What I loved about that movie too, and I know you mentioned it in the episode before I watched it, uh, and Jess and I were talking about it after we watched it and we were walking out of the theater, is that despite the movie being incredibly violent and brutal, it never loses its like wholeheartedness about the holiday. And I right. loved that. I thought that that would be so hard to achieve. But like, despite the gratuitous violence, you almost always have a smile on your face the whole movie. Yeah. Well, and then like I, like I mentioned um, on earlier episodes that it has such a... On, on the Christmas episode, actually, is where I mentioned this, that it's, it's still a very sweet story at heart. And it's still very much a, a story that reminds you of of the heart of christmas and what makes christmas so special um and i loved it i i mean it's a pretty straightforward movie there's nothing like emotionally impactful about it it's just a fun movie that i can see myself going back to every every holiday season it definitely makes you feel a warmness about the holiday. Like, if you don't leave that being excited about Christmas, you're just a bitter person. Like, I, I was... You're just dead inside. And I do love the... And I won't go into specific details, but I love that they were able to 
pay homage to Die Hard and Home Alone without it feeling like too ham-fisted. It yeah. felt like it was more of just being an admiration of those films without it just being like, hey, remember these other holiday movies? Like, it was done really well. And that Home Alone sequence was probably my favorite sequence in the movie. <laughs> I do love that they took... and this. I'll close my thoughts with this. Um, I do love that they... The concept of making Santa like kind of like a jaded person and he needed a reminder himself of what makes it holiday holiday so special yes and david david harbour gives a fantastic performance as well and also also i just want to point out because i was i was uh, listening to our episode the other day just kind of i always listen to our episodes just to make sure i didn't say anything too stupid um when you mentioned you know i can almost picture um david harbour all like an all gristle tatted up santa claus it was so hard not to like break character on that part when you said that Santa Claus's background in that movie was my favorite part about it. <laughs> I, loved, yeah. I, I loved that reveal. I thought they did it such a good job. But no, that was a fantastic pick for number 20. So you ready for my number 20? Let's do it. My number 20, comically enough, after you talked about it, is after Yang. <laughs> that was that was my number 20. And, and I'll tell you which one edged that out here in a second. Yeah, uh, I loved After Yang. I uh, It's one of those films that, like... Even if you tried to describe it to someone, like you could give them a general plot, but I feel like it would be impossible to describe the tone and the mood of the movie. It's very dreamlike. It feels like you're watching something from a different time and a different place. I love how it's a very futuristic setting, but that it feels like close enough to something that could be a reality. It's not like so overblown. And I love how simplistic the premise is, and it's really just beautiful. The performances are all great. The dialogue is incredible it's a movie that like weeks after i watched it i just kept thinking about it about just how amazing it was and i i hate movies like this because a24 puts them out and doesn't push for them enough like other movies i feel like this is one that was like limited release in theaters and then dump it to streaming and no one ever talks about it and that's unfortunate because i i do think it's a beautiful film that could have deserved awards recognition. Like, it was just so well made. I do agree with that. I, I didn't even know about it until you kind of sang its high praise on one of our episodes. That's what made me curious to check it out. And honestly, like I said, it was my number 20 as well, but it got edged out last minute by by a different one that I'll talk about here in a minute. But um, but I do agree. If, if we would have gone past, you know, 20, this would have landed on 21. Yeah, it's just such a great movie. And it's very, like... Very simple, nothing complex. It's a movie that I feel like anyone can digest, but I also think it's a film that a lot of people can pull things away from, and it's a very beautiful story. And if you get a chance, watch that one. It's really good. I don't have much else to say about it, but it was really great, and I loved it. I loved it as well. Um, I'll, I'll just add on to it that I, I loved it. I thought it was very... The, the message behind it was really great. I mean, I think it's no secret that we've talked about how much we enjoy the, the concepts of like uh, an artificial intelligence kind of becoming more you know self-governing and developing emotions it's, it's such a com complex and fascinating topic to me that yeah this i i join you on that it's, it's an amazing film it was like an it, it was like an a24 indie version of the ideas that blade runner is conveying very yeah. but very restrained 
Like very much more of a, just like a character study. No action, no like intense violent sequences, just very character driven and dialogue driven. Yep. No, I that's a perfect way of putting it actually. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. So get, hit me with your number 19. I'm excited to hear what it is. 19 was the one that actually etched out after Yang because as I was putting my list together, I was like, wait a minute. I forgot how much I adored She Will. Yeah, She Will was phenomenal. That would have been another honorable mention for me. Uh, it was. It really took me by surprise. I, I really like She Will. Um, it's no secret that my favorite A24 movie is The Witch. And this movie was very reminiscent of The Witch. Um, and the themes that it, that it delved into. And, you know, I, I am definitely all for, like, the social messages. But sometimes they can get really hammy or they can get really shoved down your throat. And this movie had a really powerful feminist message in a very classy and very smart and provocative way that I really enjoyed. And obviously the performances were amazing. The circumstances that they're pla- that you know the main character gets placed in. It's something that even though it's it's kind of like a almost a folk horror movie. Um, I feel like people that have been involved in trauma, body dysmorphia... Um, just being just women, you know, especially this year where we've had so many, so many awful things happen to, to women's rights. I feel like this is a movie that people can gravitate towards and watch it. You can watch it for a horror movie, but you can also see the, the very poignant, um, topics being discussed in it. And, you know, Clint Mansell did an amazing job with the score. So, um, there isn't much I can say about it, um... It's one that you have to just experience, and yeah, she will. It's my number 19. I also really just wanted to mention really quick, one of the things that I loved about it so much was pairing this older woman who had a very, you know, obviously traumatic past who's been through a lot currently in her life with this younger woman who was her nurse, who was a person of color, and you have two women coming from drastically different backgrounds, but that all of the things about both of their lives are fleshed out to where, despite their differences, the two of them end up coming together more towards the end and like building each other up in a way. And I thought that was a really cool incorporation, despite all the other subject matter that's being tackled. And I agree with you. I feel like a lot of times when it comes to like social issues, that it, it like it could be a very preaching to the choir type of thing, because a lot of like Hollywood films, it's like okay know your audience know who's coming to watch the movie but i feel like this is a movie that could impact people even that like don't take these issues to heart like they should in a way that that like really impacted me as well it was just really beautifully done the cinematography was amazing and i really loved a lot of the surreal sequences in it it was really amazing and i'm glad shutters picking up stuff like this they always get great movies yep so number 19 for me is she will up on Shutter, or you can even pick it up on Blu-ray. Also pick up that score. That score is amazing. So, sir, hit me with yours. Yeah, so my number 19, this might surprise people that it's this, like, high up on the list. I still really enjoyed it, but I was thinking about, like, on revisits if it would impact me the same way, and I still think I'd enjoy it a lot, but it probably wouldn't be the same, and that's Barbarian. I'm actually surprised that it's that low. Yeah, uh, Barbarian is uh, I, is a movie I loved. I really enjoyed the experience in the theater. I really loved all the twists and turns. I thought all the performances were really great. I just, like, when I was making the list and I was thinking about, like, the impact that these movies had on me, I was thinking, okay, now that I know the twist of the movie, now that I know a lot of the punches, 
would it impact me the same? And yes, I think the humor would impact me the same and like the, the creature design and all those things. But I feel like it wouldn't hit the same way as it did the first time I saw it in the theater. And don't get me wrong. I loved this movie and I think it's really well made. That's why it's number 19 on my list, making a top 20 for me. It's, it's difficult, but it's a fantastic film. That's really suspenseful. I thought Justin Long's performance was one of the funniest of the year. I, I love that he seems like such a wonderful person in real life and he always gets casted to play these really douchey characters. Yeah. I... <laughs> like every, every movie he's in, I don't know why it happens. My, one of my favorite scenes in a movie all year was when he was in that basement measuring the square footage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was and, hilarious. It, it made me laugh so hard. And uh, one of the greatest end credits cue songs ever. Uh, but it was a great horror movie experience. There's just a, there's horror movies this year that I liked a lot more. Uh, there's a lot of movies I liked a lot more than Barbarian. But don't get me wrong. This is one I will be picking up on Blu-ray and that I really enjoyed. So that's my number 19, Barbarian. Barbarian was great. I, ha- I may have a thing or two to say about it later on. Yeah, sounds good. So yeah, that was my number 19. So hit me with your number 18. Number 18, I'm, I'm staying on that feminist on that feminist train, Nate. Yeah. I'm staying on it. I'm staying on it because I'm here for the ladies. Um, I'm ready. My number 18 is um, a movie that I had zero hopes for, and it turned out to be so much better than I had anticipated, and that is Prey. Prey was phenomenal. Uh, another movie that would have been on my uh, on my uh, honorable mentions list. I feel like one of the good things about Prey, and I don't know if you agree with me, I feel like that's a movie that actually benefited from going direct to streaming. You really think so? Yes, I think that it benefited from going direct to streaming because it was like one of the most watched films on Hulu and some of the CGI in it looked a little cheap. I feel like it felt a little bit more of like made for TV than uh, than an actual like big budget Hollywood film. I do love the intimate nature of it and the representation of the Native American culture, but I think that because it was released direct to streaming, that a lot more people watched it than they would have if it would have been released in the theater. I see that. Yeah. Well, and I feel like the fact that. Um... The one before that, though I have a soft spot for it, a lot of people didn't like it. So I don't think a lot of people would have shown up in theaters to see it. Just because the Predator franchise has been so uneven as far as quality goes. Prey, I liked that they pulled back all that schlock and made it like an intimate family drama with the Predator Incorporated. Prey, Prey felt like a return to form for Predator. It felt closer to the original Predator movie um, in the sense that, like, it's actually smart characters. I mean, the original Predator it was came out in the '80s, so it's and it was written by Shane Black. So there's definitely a lot of like misogynistic humor in it. the The fact that the main character is smart, um, there's actual legitimately awesome action pieces, and you see, it feels more like a hunt rather than just like a schlocky action movie. I feel like if, if I were to do a ranking of the Predator movies, Prey would be would definitely be one or two for sure. Prey would probably be my number two behind the original, but there is a chance yeah. it could overthrow the original. I liked it that much. It made me think about like throwing the Predator or like a Xenomorph in a different time period makes it so much more interesting. Well, and then I love, love the fact that there was so much, um, um, that 
they actually kept true to like that Native American vibe. Like they they suddenly didn't find like a you know a Gatling gun to take him down. It was very much like through tribal um, knowledge and through tribal uh, tactics that they that you know that the hunt happens. And I really really respected that. Well, I love that the only way that she got a gun was through those European settlers. That's a, and and she had to learn how to use it through them and then and like every bit of it made sense which was great like I said my biggest issues with it were the CGI on the animals was very cheap it, it like some a couple of times I was like wow this looks like it could have been on like a Windows 95 PC game uh, but other than that I really like the look of the predator was amazing I know you were a sucker for that dog too don't even tell me otherwise <laughs> oh. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it was, it was my favorite it was part of really that movie. entertaining. I I would say it's really entertaining. I think the only reason it didn't make my list is because I didn't really think much about it after I watched it. Like I thought it was good, but it's not one that like is gonna stick in my brain for a really long time. It's one that like if someone said let's watch Prey, I'd be like hell yeah, fun action movie, let's do it. Uh, and it's it's really well made, really well made. But Prey, Prey is Prey is my number eighteen. A good see. This has been very interesting so far. I already out of the gate. Our lists are very interesting. Yeah, seriously. Um. Yeah. So you ready for my eighteen? Give me your eighteen. So my number eighteen is a movie both of us saw, and I thought this would end up being higher on my list, but I saw a lot of movies that I liked more than it. But it's still an incredible experience, and my number eighteen is David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future. That one would have actually been a, a an honorable mention for me now that you mention it. Yeah, I loved Crimes of the Future uh, for a lot of reasons. Obviously, it was a return to form for David Cronenberg when it comes to the body horror stuff. I feel like over the past couple of years, he's done a lot more. Like He made like A Dangerous Method, which was a historical drama. He's made a lot more straightforward films over the years, and he's also done a lot of acting performances. And so when I heard that he was going to do a body horror film again, I was really excited. And I think all the body horror elements are great, but I, what I really liked, and I know I spoke on this a little bit in the episode Ray and I already did, was the allegory for uh, trans and LGBTQ people that exists in this film. Uh, a lot, I feel like a lot of it has to do with that experience and like how people in that community are perceived and like the whole idea of the people who are eating plastic is like they're completely shunned from the rest of the world and treated as outcasts even though they're trying to do something to make the world more sustainable and like a better place to live. And I thought that was a really interesting idea and reading interviews with Cronenberg and knowing that that was his perception and the way that he was going about it made me appreciate the movie even more. But aside from all those issues, I just thought the performances were great. Vigo was awesome. Kristen Stewart was great. Uh, Leah Sado was amazing as normal. I really liked the grimy, gross setting of the movie. Like it really felt like it was in some weird dystopia. And I love when movies are set like that, but I just loved crimes of the future. I thought it was really great. And we need we need Waxwork or Armando to press that score. Howard Shore, man. Yeah, oh, Howard Shore. It was amazing. Uh, and I'm glad to see Cronenberg doing that. I, I don't know if you saw, speaking of Cronenberg, his daughter just rapped on her first movie, Caitlin Cronenberg. So we're going to be getting a new branded Cronenberg movie next year, and his daughter, Caitlin Cronenberg, is releasing a movie next year. So we're going to be eating good. Give me all the Cronenberg. You could, uh, That family has got some issues, and I'm thrilled. because they, <laughs> they, they create some great content based on that. So my number 18 is Crimes of the Future. 
would have totally been on my on my honorable mention. Um, also, it would have, it, it's another one that got etched out by Violent Night, oddly enough. Um, but yeah, Crimes of the Past or Crimes of the Future. I'm sorry. Um, I agree with you with everything you said. Um, it was great. Uh, I got a chance to see that in theaters, which was really cool. Um, it was really fun watching people's reactions, thinking they were going to watch a straightforward horror movie, and they got something they weren't bargaining for. They don't know. They don't know David Cronenberg. <laughs> They really don't. <laughs> That's what I love about him is like no matter what of his movies you're watching, it's never a straightforward horror film. You're always going to get some form of social commentary, and that's what I've always loved about David. He's he's just one of the greatest directors to ever do it. So what's your number 17? My number 17 is one that you mentioned earlier that you hadn't quite finished watching off the podcast. Uh, number 17 is... The, the recent Netflix original that came, just came out, All Quiet on the Western Front. And I can totally see, I, I started this the other night, it was a little later, uh, and I only got like 45 minutes into it. Because normally I find myself lately, and I know some film people out there might see this as heresy, but when a movie's like two and a half to three hours long, sometimes I'll break it up into pieces, depending on like how my day's going. But the first 45 minutes that I watched, like the cinematography was incredible. The message was incredible. So I can totally see why it's on your list. Well, and then also like there is the aspect of, you know, it, it's it's a blatantly anti-war movie. It's it's but it is kind of interesting because something that I, I was mentioning um, to my brother, who's a big war buff, um, I really enjoy that this movie is very like, you know, because I think we often demonize Germans. And don't worry, I'm not about to have a Kanye uh, Kanye West moment. <laughs> I feel like we demonize like a lot of these German people. And rightfully so. I mean, the German people did some awful things during that time, place and time. But you also get to see like some pushback. You get to see some of those German soldiers like, I don't want to be doing this. This is not what I signed up to do. And to see that some of these German soldiers were also being fed a big lie by by their government on what they were doing um so seeing it from the perspective of of some of these german soldiers as how like they don't want to be there any more than we wanted them to be there um it's really interesting to see that um obviously the violence it doesn't i mean i don't know how much you saw from the time you from the little you watch but it doesn't hold back any punches with the violence no not at all from what i've seen and i i think they with what you were saying about the Germans too, that's they intentionally picked World War One for that reason. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> there is there is no there is no redemption for World War Two. No, <laughs> but but I do love one of my favorite sequences in the movie so far, and I think it really speaks volumes about you know the war in general. Is like these young kids at that time period were in a place that all they wanted to do was escape. And so they're like, oh, we'll go fight on the front lines and we'll we'll go do this. And it's like you can just kind of see the blissful ignorance in them. And as soon as they go into that space where they're like stripped of their clothes and given their uniforms, the tone in the movie shifts immediately. And you could just see like they're not even aware yet of what they're getting into. And that first, I love that the first moment when they're on those trucks and they unload and you just see that guy, the medic covered in blood. And he's like, you can't go through here. We need these trucks to transport bodies back. It's like, boom, reality sets in. Look what you had to get yourself into to quote unquote, get away from the life you were living. It's a gut punching movie. Like um, you haven't finished it obviously, but I mean, 
this isn't a spoiler. We know how that war ended. <laughs> so, but to but to see that portrayed in an intimate setting through the eyes of one of those soldiers was gut wrenching. Um, so yeah, I mean, and I know that the book itself, All Quiet on the Western Front, is not is like the story of Paul, the main character, is not a true story. But the guy that wrote it was did fight in the war, and he did write based off of the experiences he had. Um, so like stuff that we see in that movie. Well, then you haven't gotten to the scene. There's a scene where they bring out. I just want to point this out real quick. Um, they come out with the flamethrowers and they start burning some some bodies, some some soldiers. Um, I was talking to my brother about it, and my brother was like, yeah, they toned it down with the flamethrowers. They were far more violent in the real war. Uh, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, that, that movie, I mean, it's bleak. It's like I, This is not a movie that you're going to walk out feeling uplifted by. Um, but it is, it is real life. It is reality. It did happen. And I feel like we have started to cross over into a time where people are forgetting their history, and it's important to, to remember we don't want to go back there again. No, we don't. We don't want another world war. Uh, it, it reminds just from what I've seen. It reminded me of the Criterion film I watched earlier this year, Come and See, which is one of the most horrifying war movies I've ever watched. Also told through the lens of a very young soldier, even younger than the soldiers in this movie. Uh, and it's it's brutal to watch any sort of war movie through the eyes of an almost child. Uh, it, it's just like the fact that governments care so little about human beings that they're just like, yeah, send these children out to go die just so that we can have some extra guns and maybe kill one other enemy. Uh, it's just, it's the harsh reality of the way our world works. But yeah, I'm excited to finish it because I've really enjoyed it so far. So that is, that, that's fine. Um, let's, let's see if you can bring us out of this hole. I just dug this in, although I doubt it. Uh, uh, actually, I am going to dig us out of the hole that we were just in uh, for my number 17 pick. My number 17 pick is a much more lighthearted movie that I had no expectations for and I ended up loving, and that is the film Cha-Cha Real Smooth. I haven't even heard of that one. Yeah, so Cha-Cha Real Smooth is directed and starring Cooper Rafe in his second directorial feature. Uh, and this is just an absolutely beautiful film. So I'll give you a quick summary on it. But it's about a young kid who still lives with his parents. He just graduated high school. He's been wanting to go to college for a couple years. I think they say in the movie he's like 20, maybe 21. So he's super young. And uh, he's got a young brother. And uh, his family is Jewish. So they go to a lot of bar mitzvahs together. And he ends up going to this bar mitzvah and all these kids aren't dancing. They're not doing anything. And, uh, he ends up like starting the party up and getting these kids to dance. Well, while he's there, he sees Dakota Johnson's character who has this young daughter who has a disability and she's a super sweet girl, but she like, I, I think it might be autism, but I can't remember exactly. She's wearing headphones uh, in there because the music's too loud and immediately he goes up and he starts talking to Dakota Johnson and he ends up getting the daughter to come up and dance and she starts connecting with him. Well, you find out Dakota Johnson is in a relationship with this guy who's sort of like not really always present. He seems like he's, you know, always off doing other things and not really involved in their lives the way that he should be. And so in order for their relationships to start getting back together, they hire Cooper Rafe to be that girl's babysitter so they can go out. Well, 
he ends up leaving the husband ends up like constantly going on business trips and stuff so Dakota Johnson and Cooper Rafe start to hang out together and they start to build this relationship and it becomes this really beautiful film about these two people from very different lives connecting at a moment where they both need each other and it's really just like heartwarming beautiful real grounded I I just loved it it was an Apple TV original movie I watched it earlier this year I want to say maybe before the summertime Uh, but it was really fantastic and I feel like around when it came out a lot of people talked about it but it's a movie that's definitely worth watching i absolutely loved it i'll have to check it out yeah i just pulled it up um um while you were talking about it and yeah it looks like it is on apple and i have apple tv so i'm gonna have to give this one a whirl see how it is yeah i think you'll really like it so yeah that's my number 17 cha-cha real smooth so what is your number 16 sir are you ready for me to disappoint you sure (laughs) no it shouldn't disappoint you i just think you you would have hoped this was higher my number 16 is Smile. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, I You obviously know I loved Smile. <laughs> yeah, I know you did. Which, which I, I need to throw some shade at you, uh, at you, because you were just criticizing Prey for the CGI, but Smile has some rough CGI. <laughs> I honestly, it's funny you said that because I did not feel like it was that bad. There, honestly, I liked the way the creature looked. I liked that it was really like weird and out there and very disturbing looking. And the only other CGI moment I can think of in the movie is when the sister twists her head, which was well, kind of no. corny, but when the doctor rips his face off. Oh yeah, so that moment was cheesy. That one I'll give you. Uh, but, <laughs> but but what I what I think's funny, and I you know when this movie came out, I I feel like people were really harsh on it. But no matter what people say, and I know everybody goes through different experiences and everybody goes through things in life differently. As someone who has suffered from depression and mental illness for a really long time, this movie handles that subject matter really delicately in a way that I don't think a horror movie has ever, especially like a mainstream horror movie, has tried to handle subject matter like that. Well, I was going to say, I'll... All CGI criticism aside, um, the concept of the movie and the way how it tackles mental health and depression um, and creating this almost it follows like creature where no one else can see it except for for the person itself. Um, And just having this paranoia that no one believes you as much like like mental health, you know, depression and anxiety that people don't really see it they, it doesn't have a manifestation other than how you behave and the fact that like they picked this to be transferred through a smile i mean how many times have we heard you know have you ever tried just being happy you know and we have this smile-esque you know very disingenuous almost very threatening smile to be portrayed as the thing that you see haunting you around it's very reminiscent of, of that trope of people is like you know just you look better if you smile you should just smile more you should just be happy and they don't actually realize how how that kind of um you know ailment actually affects you and i think the thing that got me the most about this movie was the hopelessness of getting to the point where no one believes you no one at all believes you. Your spouse doesn't believe you. Your family doesn't believe you. And you're grasping at straws to try to get someone 
to actually believe what you have to say. And that's what shook me up the most about this movie was like towards the third act when she was at the point where like you could tell that she was breaking. Like she just, like there was just nothing left for her because no one was believing what she was saying. And as an audience member who is seeing it happen and knowing that it's real, it hurts even more to watch someone go through that. And one of the things I liked about this movie is I know a lot of people were like, oh, it's jump scare laden. But I feel like I'm someone who despises jump scares. I really do. This movie earns them. I feel like it spends so much of the early part of the film building up atmosphere and setting. And it holds back from that. That when there are the jump scares in this, and I didn't feel like there were a ton, but I feel like the ones that they used were genuinely scary. I agree. Well, and then also like some of the jumps well because this movie's trying to make in in my opinion it's trying to make a point about mental illness and depression and anxiety and you know when you when you're from looking in when you're watching these people have these these reactions you know to us it almost seems inf- like infantile for for these people to behave that way but when you are in their shoes it's not that uncommon for them to be jumpy for a person to be to easily get down on themselves for a person that easily seem like they're crazy when they're really going through through a tough time so i feel like the jump scares are very like rooted in in those instances that people think oh you're just being a baby it's like no these are real frightening things that go inside people's minds and in my opinion this being an allegory for mental health um there's those are not so far-fetched so those jump scares make sense to me as well yeah i completely agree with everything you're saying i think that those they work really well in the context of the overall film and i also really quickly this is unrelated to the plot but i just wanted to shout out one of the unsung horror heroes mr kyle gullner who plays the cop in this movie who i feel like shows up in so many horror movies and always gives a really great performance i feel like he doesn't get talked about enough and he does a really great job in this movie yeah he does i really i really enjoyed him for sure and the score uh we can talk really quickly but prop arguably one of my favorite scores of the whole year especially in the horror genre it's unsettling mm-hmm. it really is i've been listening to it uh randomly which probably says something about my my own head but it's it's like a really phenomenal score that accompanies the movie well and it's one that like i finished watching it and immediately wanted to watch it again i just thought it was so well made and i and it's like ray and i talked about back when we discussed this movie i think even before either one of us saw it but i want to see more big budget horror movies like this yeah i agree with that it also ended up making like double its budget which good for them yeah well and then the amazing you know viral campaign that they did yeah oh yeah did you see on instagram live a couple nights ago that for like 24 hours they streamed uh, I doubt it was an actor doing it. I'm sure they filmed it before, but it was just like that actress sitting in a room with all these Christmas stockings filled with smile Blu-rays and she was just doing that smile and it was on their live stream for like 24 hours. That's hilarious. Yeah, they did a really good job with the marketing of this movie. But yeah, smile's great. I'm glad it I'm glad it was on your list because I was hoping you'd like it and I'm glad that you did. I, I sure did. So what is your number 16 though? So my number 16 is going to disappoint you a little bit, I think. My number 16 is The Menu. Oh! Yeah. Uh, I I loved The Menu, 
but I liked a lot of movies a lot more than the menu. I think that it's really fantastic. Obviously, we spoke about this on the podcast. I think Ray Fiennes and Anya Taylor-Joy both give amazing performances. I really like how uh, weird the entire, like, feel of the movie is. I like that it's a really... Um, unnatural opening to a movie. It's actually funny. I don't know if we talked about this before, but when this was a movie that when I started watching it in the first 20 minutes, I was like, this is really irritating the shit out of me because I hated Nicholas Holt's character. I was like, why is Anya Taylor-Joy even around him? Like, this doesn't make any sense. All the characters were kind of grating to me, but as soon as they started introducing the courses, I was like, oh, okay, I see where they're going with this. I see, like, the satire they're trying to get at. I, I see how they're spoofing these characters, and then as soon as I settled into it, I loved it. I think that everybody gives a great performance. It has an amazing score. The cinematography's great. Whoever worked on the actual, like, production design for the food did an amazing job it looks fantastic and it's super suspenseful and i like the way the information was revealed throughout the film and obviously the third act of this one is insane it was a lot of fun i really enjoyed myself in the theater and i really liked this movie a lot it just there's a lot of movies i watched that impacted me more than the menu did but that doesn't take away from the fact that I will be watching this movie again and that I really enjoyed it. And I'm sure you'll have a lot more to say about it when it comes up on your list. How do you know it's coming up on my list? Oh, I know it'll be in your top <laughs> Without a doubt. I, I, I heard the way you talked about this movie after you watched it. And I loved it, but it was funny. I had assumed that it would be on my top ten originally when I watched it. And, and I was like making my list and I was like, oh, this didn't get as high as I thought that it would, but that doesn't, it's like what you said earlier, like even with After Yang not making your list, it doesn't take away from the fact that it's a great movie that I really loved. No, I get that. Um, I love the movie, but I will leave my thoughts for when we talk about it later on. Yeah, so that's my number 16 is the menu. So what's your number 15? Well, my number 15 is one that you mentioned earlier that um, it scored a little bit higher on mine than in yours, and that is Barbarian. Nice, yeah. Uh, I just shared my thoughts on it, so you can share yours. Well, my thoughts aren't, aren't that different from yours. Um, I feel like the reason why it's higher on my list is because because it made me relive something that I haven't lived in a long relived in a long time, which was that the suspense and uh, of the secrecy behind the film, that journey of not knowing, and obviously I'll never be able to relive that with this movie again because I know what what happens, but. That journey and that appreciation for a movie that, um, you know, could have easily been spoiled through various trailers, um, being able to go through that, through that experience of of not knowing, of not being able to tell what was going to come next because they were so vague in the advertisement for it. I I love that, and the reason why I sing its high praises is because. Just like we talked about Smile, I want to see more movies like that. More movies that take risks on original stories and to not freaking spoon feed us every single thing about the movie. Exactly. And I want, I do want to credit a lot of the studios this year in 2022. I feel like vague trailers, they're doing a lot better with that. I feel like I've been taken by surprise more times than not this year because of how vague the trailers have been. And shout out to shout out to production studios that trust that their uh, audience is intelligent enough not to have everything spoon fed to them. Well, it's like another example. It's it, well, you just mentioned it, the menu. Like I remember going to Semeni and somebody asked me, "Oh, what's that movie about?" I'm like, "I don't know. Something weird happens at a restaurant." Like that's all I knew. And that's a 
So it's, it's like it's the best. It's the best feeling. Yeah, and I love that. And Barbarian, I feel like Barbarian was the the first one from this batch of movies that really wore that on its sleeve. Like, hey, we don't want to tell you what this movie is about. And I'm glad that they didn't. Yeah. So you know, the the feelings that I have for the movie are are not unlike yours. Like, are they're very it's a well acted, well directed, you know, beautifully like just the cinematography, the twists and turns, even little nuances. Like the first scene, it's all in the dark. So when she steps out of the Airbnb like the next morning, it wasn't at all what you were expecting as far as the neighborhood went. All of the twists and turns. It was just like I said, it, my feelings are unlike yours. Um, once. You do figure out the mystery, though. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, so now rewatching this movie will feel more like your standard horror experience. Exactly. But I don't think it'll take away from the quality at all, like what you were saying. Like, it's still going to be a quality film that I'll be very excited to show people that haven't seen it. Yeah, me too. So, I mean, we, we've talked a lot about Barbarian through yours and now my thoughts. So why don't we go ahead and jump to you, to your next one? Yeah, so my number 15, funny enough, and I'm sure that this will probably surprise you, but my number 15 is Smile. No. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I won't stay on this for too long because we just talked about it, but I think the reason why Smile falls on this spot on my list is because of the mental health elements of the movie. I feel like that's what impacted me the most. Seeing a horror movie that was very outspoken about these things that I struggle with on a pretty regular basis was really refreshing. It stuck with me way more. Like, if you would have looked at me and said, Smile is going to be on your top 20 films of the year list, I would have laughed in your face. Before this movie came out, I'm sure Ray was the same way. I don't think either one of us expected this movie. We both thought it was going to be really standard, run-of-the-mill, like truth-or-dare-level Blumhouse crap. And this ended up being a really well-acted and well-put-together horror movie that I can see myself watching for years to come. Yes, yes, 1,000%. Yep, and that's all I have to say about it because we talked about it in detail. So what's your number 14? My number 14 is a movie I just watched on Sunday, actually. Um, A movie that I had been anticipated for a long time. And unfortunately, I couldn't for the life of me um, get it to... Because it got announced like two years ago and there were many delays and it got postponed and then it... It was going to get a limited release in theaters, and then it finally got dumped on Netflix, and that is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Also on my list of films I want to watch for the year. I still have not seen it, but I'm very excited to, because I am someone, and this might be an unpopular opinion to a lot of people, I hate the original Pinocchio. I think it is horrible. I, I watched it like two months ago, And it is probably my least favorite of the Disney classics. I think the message is incredibly stupid. It's mostly boring. And so I'm excited because I know Guillermo del Toro is going to completely spin that story and turn it into something different. And I cannot wait to see it. He Well, first of all, let's get the obvious out of the way. The animation, the stop motion is beautiful. Beautiful stop motion um, um, work. Even though this is a PG, you know, animated movie, it deals with a lot of, like, adult themes. Um, grief and death. Um, it deals with a lot... It You know, there's an inclusion of, like, Benito Mussolini and that and, and, and the awful things he was doing in, you know, in Italy. Um, you know, the inclusion of, like, more darker themes throughout the movie. Um... The movie is definitely more aimed at adults, but 
you know, you can still get away with watching it with kids, but it definitely has a lot of adult themes that would go over a lot of kids' heads. Um, and again, Guillermo del Toro can do no wrong in my book. I completely agree. He's just one of the best to ever do it. I mean, I, I, like I said, I can't recommend it enough. It's It de- obviously has its sweet and very uh, beautiful moments in the movie, but... You know, there's a lot of callbacks to the actual story of Pinocchio. Like, that shouldn't come as a surprise. But there's enough twist to make it a fresh story that ends on a note that that's far better, in my opinion, than what Disney did with, with this story. I feel like this this rendition of Pinocchio should be, like, the definite rendition. the Like, the, the actual rendition of Pinocchio, the official one, should be Guillermo del Toro. I will never forgive Disney for not letting Guillermo del Toro make his Haunted Mansion movie. I will never forget, you know, the I forget which studio was for not letting Guillermo del Toro or for eventually making Guillermo del Toro walk off making The Hobbit. Oh my god. See, that that's the thing with The Haunted Mansion because I'm a I'm a Disney freak as a lot of people know. The with the passion that he has for that source material why just give it to some random person when you could give it to someone who's like been working on a script for years that you know it's actually going to be good? Yeah, I, that is beyond me. I don't understand it. Well, are you ready for my number 14? Let's do it. So my number 14 uh, is a little film by director Ty West, and that is the film X. Oh. Yeah, I loved X. I thought that it was an incredibly well-made slasher film that subverted a lot of the stereotypes of slasher movies by feeling like an A24 movie uh, in the best way possible. I thought all the performances were really great. A surprisingly great performance from Kid Cudi and a transformative performance from Mia Goth as the Elder Pearl, which I did not, I didn't even know till the movie was over. I didn't even know that it was her until it was done, which was so impressive. I really love horror movies that take place during the summertime, especially in like super humid environments. Like it just feels gross and like uh, there's something about like knowing what that level of heat would do to exhaust your body on top of already running away from someone trying to kill you. And I love that this movie, like the kills were so well thought out and entertaining I loved the idea of these kids shooting a porno on these uh, on these elderly people's house. Like, I just thought it was so funny. It, it was also, like, really suspenseful. And I feel like a lot of, like, the kills in it I was not expecting, especially, like, towards the tail end of the movie. And it was just great. I, I really don't have a negative thing to say about X. I thought it was fantastic. It's a movie that I've thought about a lot since I saw it in the theater. Is this your second mention with Jenny Ortega? Uh, yeah, the first mention with Jenna Ortega was the fallout, the uh, honorable mention. Um, I love Jenna Ortega. I It's not on my list, but Wednesday was one of my favorite TV shows I've watched all year. Hmm, yeah. Um, I, I, I like Jenna Ortega I, I can a lot. tell. I can tell. Yeah, so that's... That's my number 14 is X. X was interesting to me because I I enjoyed it at the moment, but it was one of those that I was like, oh, that was cool. And then I just kind of never went back to it. Yeah, I honestly haven't stopped thinking about it since I watched it. It's one that I feel like is going to be in my constant rotation. I'm kind of hoping that uh, when um, Maxine comes out that uh, A24 will put out some like Blu-ray set of all three because I think that would be really cool to own. But I really loved X a lot. I, I, It's a movie, especially for someone who loves slasher films, I feel like it's 
the the type of thing I crave. Uh, so yeah, X. That's my number fourteen. So we got three. We each have three more left for this episode. Yeah, and my number thirteen. I think you're gonna be a little shocked of how high it is on my list. Um, but I talked about this at the beginning of the episode of how I, I, I do like to include movies that have a lot of rewatchability value. And this is one that I can see myself watching until the end of time. Um, it's a fast paced movie that takes place in a train and that is a bullet train. Hey, I'm not going to give you any crap for that because bullet train was some of the most fun I've had watching a movie this year. So I, I don't blame you. It was so much fun. It was so much fun, and I can't, like, wait. Like, I've rewatched this movie several times because of how entertaining it is, how fun it is. I'll probably be watching it over the Christmas break that, I, that I'm that i having right now. Um, it's just such a good time. It's hilarious. It has incredible cameos and performances. Brad Pitt, man, he's like, he's like a fine wine. He ages really well with his movie choices. Um... And then you obviously have, you know, the brothers in the movie that are just a standout performance. Yeah, Brian Tyree Henry was my favorite performance of the entire movie with his Thomas the Tank Engine stickers. You know, I'm still trying to figure out which Thomas the Tank Engine. Am I a diesel, Nate? Am I a diesel? I don't think you're a diesel. No, I think you're a Thomas. <laughs> I, I Honestly, this is the only movie that you'll watch that has a flashback sequence for an origin of a water bottle and also a flashback sequence to introduce you to a character to kill them in like two minutes. <laughs> that was, I uh, that was love amazing. this movie. It was so, I, no, I honestly, out of five stars, I gave this movie a four and a half, which might surprise a lot of people out there. I loved it. Well, and this is a prime example of a movie that critics just like destroyed and I was like, why? This movie is like entertainment at its peak. Yes, and it's well written. That's what I was surprised. Like, it's not just dumb. There was a lot of thought put into it. I loved, uh, I know she was only in it for a little bit, but the inclusion of Zazie Beetz's character oh was great. Oh my gosh. That was one of my favorite scenes when her and, and Brad Pitt fight. And shout out to actually letting Miss Sandra Bullock show up in the movie. I was thrilled with that. I don't want to give a spoiler, but you'll know what I'm talking about. The cameo of the agent that he is yes. filling in for. <laughs> that, oh, I I cried laughing when that happened. Uh, but yeah, it's, I totally understand why this is on your list. It was so much fun. It, I, I wanted to mention some more obscure stuff in my honorable mentions, but if I was making a full honorable mentions list, this would definitely be on it. Bullet Train, yes, my number 13. I also want to go, I can't go without mentioning bullet train without mentioning the appearance of oh wait hold on first of all i love um the conductor constantly chasing him around for the ticket but i wanted to do highlight the the appearance of hirokui sanada who is we're not worthy of his acting chops and the fact that he agreed to do a movie this like wild and out there makes me respect him even more did you love when he pulled the, the sword out of the cane? Oh my gosh. My, and you know what's funny? I was watching this with my brother and he was like, dude, before that scene even happened, he's like, he's pulling a sword out of that cane. 
<laughs> and I was like, oh, I can't wait for it. As soon as he did it, he's like, I knew it. You don't want to mess with that guy. Also, that sequence at the end when they're they're doing that huge fight, I was like, this isn't... P-. The the one scene in the movie that like had me scratching my head of like, this could never happen is when Aaron Taylor Johnson is like crawling on the front of the train and he like punches through the glass. I was like, no, there's no way that that would ever happen. There's definitely suspended disbelief on Bullet Train, but I love it, and it's a movie that I can see myself watching endlessly until I am on my deathbed. Yeah, it's a fun one, and I'm actually really excited to own it, and I can't wait to watch it again. So, which one is is your next? Which one is your lucky 13? So, my number 13 is actually going to be a continuation of my number 14. My number 13 is Ty West's Pearl. (laughs) (laughs) Just get them out of the way back to back. I liked Pearl a little bit more than X, and I'm hopeful that you will watch Pearl, because I know you haven't seen it yet. It is a drastically different movie than X. Uh, it's not a slasher movie. It's very, it's one of Martin Scorsese's favorite films of the year. What? Yeah, uh, it's a very large homage to the golden age of Hollywood. Uh, this movie is very bright. It has vibrant colors. It's very darkly comedic. Uh, so obviously Pearl is the elderly character from X. This tells her origin story. She lives at home with her disabled father and her mom who is incredibly controlling and wants everything done her way. And all Pearl wants is to be a celebrity, but there's something wrong with her. And that is the urge to kill. And the movie has some sequences that are incredible, like a dance slash faux sex sequence with a scarecrow (laughs) that was probably one of my favorite sequences in a movie all year this one definitely it has violent moments but it's more toned back i know you were really worried when you saw the trailer that there was going to be animal violence in it there's not other than like she kills a chicken in the first couple of minutes of the movie but it's actually like a pan away like you don't even see it and it's just to like make dinner uh, I know you were worried about that when you saw the trailer for it, but like the only vi- the only violence that exists in this movie is violence towards human beings. Oh, I don't care about um, those. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so I think it's a movie you'd definitely be able to watch. Uh, but it's super entertaining, and Mia Goth actually gives a performance that if the Academy didn't hate horror movies, I could see being a winner of Best Actress. It is incredible. I've heard that. And you might be offended by this comparison, but this is the this is the comparison that I've heard. Shelly Duvall. So you can no 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 no. I actually heard that this is like Mia Goth's Joker, where she, not as far as like it's the same type of movie as the Joker, but that descent into madness. It's very like parallel to the descent to madness that Joaquin Phoenix has. A hundred percent. I can totally see the comparisons. She reminds me of a young Shelly Duvall in a lot of ways. Uh she gives this monologue towards the end of the movie that is a 15-minute one-take monologue that that is, like, one of the best performances I've seen in film all year long. It's incredible. And then this scene during the credits where she's, like, smiling and laughing through this whole credit sequence, and it's just amazing. Like, the credits play over her facial expressions, and the fact that she was able to hold it for that long, like... She's just absolutely incredible. And I feel like this film, 
it just goes to show that when Ty West decided I'm going to make a trilogy about these characters for some reason, like, I don't know why he chose to do it, that he made two drastically different films. And I feel like this is a movie you're really going to love when you watch it, Ray. It's phenomenal. I liked it more than X. It's, it's a lot, it's a lot different. Like I said, much more of an homage to that golden age of Hollywood and also film in general. I feel like you'll appreciate a lot of that. So that's my number 13. We got two more. Oh my gosh. We have two more before we reach the pinnacle of the twenties. We, we, we reach the, the, the top 10 for the next episode. So what is your number 12? This is a movie that I wanted to be higher on my list. And have you ever had those moments where you're like putting together a list and you're like, put this movie like way high. And then you really thought about it. I'm like, no, it's not as high as I think it should be. <laughs> Almost every one of the films I've talked about so far, <laughs> I'm, I, every single one, I'm like, damn, I wish this was higher on my list, but it just can't be. I wanted this to be on my top 10. I wanted this to be on my top five, but it got top, what it got number 12. Um, so in a way it got top, it got top five on my bottom 10. If nice. you think about it that way. <laughs> hey, that works. Uh, I wanted to, to love this movie much more, um, but you know, not all of them can be like that, and that is Something in the Dirt. Something in the Dirt did not make my top 20, uh, but I'm glad that it made yours. Uh, I thought it was enjoyable. I know you love those Moorhead and Benson boys. I do love those Moorhead and Benson boys. I want to be best friends with those boys. Um, I love this movie. We we did a whole a whole thing on it on a previous episode. Um, but I love Moorhead and Benson. I'm a big fan of theirs. Um I want I wanted this movie to be far far higher on my list, but it just I like the the next eleven movies far more than this one. And it it, it was a, as as per usual. I like the clever concepts that they use. I love the inclusion of like um, them kind of going back to to form in a way, like using more abstract concepts. And you know, the movie could have benefited from a trim to trim trim the the fat a little bit. But ultimately, like, it was well-written, well-performed. I like the concepts. Um, I think I just wish, like like we've mentioned in our previous episode, it was just maybe 15 minutes shorter, you know? But but it was, it was at the end of the day, it was great. I can't wait to buy it when it comes out on Blu-ray so I can um, watch it more and dissect it a little bit more and try to get more out of it. Yeah, that uh, that's totally understandable. So so that's uh, we we did a whole episode where we went into deep detail about it. So I won't I won't go into too much detail. Well, are you ready for my number twelve? So my number twelve, I was actually really disappointed because I felt like this movie got done dirty. Uh, this is an A twenty four produced film that got thrown directly onto Apple TV Plus, and that is the film Causeway. I mean, I know this is the, the Jennifer Lawrence movie, right? Yes, it's Jennifer Lawrence and one of your favorite characters from Bullet Train, Brian Tyree Henry. Oh, he's amazing in Atlanta, too. Yeah, uh, Atlanta's one of my favorite television shows of all time. But, uh, yeah, I watched this movie because I really love him. And I also really have a respect for Jennifer Lawrence, even though I don't like every movie that she's been in. And I'm a sucker for intimate character dramas. And this movie is a tough watch, but it's also really beautiful. 
And it's about an unlikely friendship forming between these two people. So essentially, I'll give you a brief summation, Ray. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence's character served in the military and something happened to her where she got injured to where it sort of messed up her head and her memory and like her basic ability to do like move around. So she comes back to the States. She lives with this nurse for a while until she gets rehabilitated enough that she can drive and do things on her own. And she worked on, I believe she worked on a sub, not on a submarine. She worked for like water purifying systems wherever she was at in Afghanistan. And so she ends up taking a job cleaning pools and she lives at home with her mom when she comes back home and her mom is kind of not all there you can tell that her life choices aren't the best and so one day she's out driving because she interviews for that pool job and her car breaks down and she takes her car to a shop that brian tyree henry runs and he's like hey your car's really messed up it's going to take me a while to get it fixed but let me drive you home and he drives her home and the two of them start talking and they end up forming this really unlikely relationship. And you find out that Brian Tyree Henry's character has had equally as much crazy stuff happening in his life as she has. And that it's all about finding connection and friendship with someone in a moment in your life that you really need it. And it's just really beautiful and moving and two of the best performances of the year. Brian Tyree Henry and Jennifer Lawrence are both amazing. The amount that they're both able to do in this movie with just facial expressions and responses to dialogue, like it was just really moving. And I'm a sucker for these types of films and it's one that I've not stopped thinking about since I watched it. That's one that I need to watch because I've, I've heard you multiple times talk very highly of this movie. So it's one that I need to get on there and watch. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And like you said, if you have Apple TV Plus, it's on there. So it, it's to it's like an hour and a half runtime. It's super short. It's totally worth your time. I'll have to check it out then. That would it, it would it would be really fun, Ray, and I just thought about this. I think it would be fun that in a couple of weeks... Maybe if we get to watch some more that we haven't got a chance to see, that we do an episode just kind of highlighting some of the movies that we missed from 2022 that we finally get around to checking out. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, that way uh, for a lot of these movies that are like ones on your list I haven't seen or ones on my list you haven't seen, we can talk about them a little bit more. That's a great idea. Yeah, so we'll do that. So yeah, my number 12 is Causeway. Nice. I'm going to have to put that one on the list to watch. So we've come to it, Ray. The first ending of part one of our 20 list. So what is your number 11? My number 11 is a huge cheat. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. And the reason, well, but I don't play by the rules. I'm a bad boy. I, I don't play by the rules. Uh, it's a huge cheat because it's not a full length movie. However, the reason why I put it on number 11 and why I wanted to include it in that list is because if this movie would have been a full length run movie it would most definitely have been on my top five it would have most definitely been a contender for me of the year but unfortunately this is just a 54 minute tv special that disney released called werewolf by night oh that's awesome i still have not seen it yet but i've heard a lot of good things about it this is the best thing marvel has released in my opinion this is the, the best thing marvel has ever made that is high praise i mean it's not considering the fact that i'm not the biggest marvel person yeah that's that's true <laughs> neither am i so that well and i you know my admiration i have for michael giacchino so oh yeah and where he directed it and scored it um Unbelievable. i love that i love guy um gail garcia bernal i adore that man um he is he is my he's one of my heroes i want to be best friends with him. does he make you does does he make you un poco loco <laughs> 
I just had to ask. <laughs> I mean, I mean, maybe. Werewolf by Night is first of all, it's it's just like a fifty-four. I think it's like fifty. It's not even an hour. It's like fifty-minute TV special that went straight to Disney Plus. Um, so the basic premise is they bring. All of these hunters, um, and they're going to hunt a monster that they have captured. And whoever kills the monster first gets to be, like, the heir to this, like, legacy and um, of this hunter legacy or something like that. Um, the thing about this movie that I love so much is not only is it, like, a really cool, like, concept of, like, all these hunters hunting this creature. It's also the whole, like, it's filmed in black and white. It's made to look like an old school monster movie like Frankenstein's monster or the werewolf like it's made to look like one of those like old school movies even from little details the Giacchino added like um there's a scene where you see like there, there are certain scenes where you will see like the, like the cigarette burns on the on the film like the old times so like little details like that that was just beautiful the the creature design is really cool because it feels like a monster creature you know it's not like this crazy like the werewolf you know the obvious werewolf by night um doesn't look like your typical like cgi monster it looks like a classic werewolf from like the you know from like the 1930s or 40s even the acting is very like from that era too and i loved it and gal garcia bernal does an amazing performance as he always does um I just, my complaint about it is like, I wish this was longer. Why didn't they turn this into a full-length film and release it in theaters? Because if the, the only reason why this isn't on my top 10 is because it's not a full-length movie. I haven't seen this movie yet, and that may, that means I'm, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to go through his entire film catalog, everybody. I have horrible, I have horrible sense of humor. Watch, watch, um, I would recommend Mozart in the Jungle, like all four seasons. I've heard that's an amazing show, but yeah, I can't. Amazing show. I, I'm going to w- sit down and watch this this week because it's only like 54 minutes long and that seems like it'll be an easy watch. It is. Can't wait. So that is my number 11. This could have easily ended up on my top 10 if it were a full length movie. And that makes sense. There's obviously that's a big thing to take into account, but Hey, if it's 54 minutes that you really enjoy, it's 54 minutes that you really enjoy. And that's all that matters. I, I've liked, I've liked less time for certain full length movies. A hundred percent. I totally, <laughs> I totally get that. So you ready for my number 11? Close this, close this book. So my number 11 is a movie that we've already mentioned today that we've talked about. Well, you mentioned it earlier in the episode, but this is a movie that really impacted me a lot. And that's on the count of three. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, I loved this movie. I think that the reason why I loved it so much is because a lot of the way that these characters feel is a way that I have felt before where you just kind of get very aimless in your life. You don't feel like you're really all that important. You don't really feel like life's worth continuing on. Not that like I have thoughts of like taking my own life like the characters do, but you just get in a really like low place. And I thought that what was so beautiful about this movie is that these two uh these two people clearly care very deeply for each other and what i love is that they both the 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 third act twist in this movie when the when that pivotal scene happens that's so hard to watch i don't feel like that's even the direction that christopher abbott really wanted to take but it was like what other choice did they have and that he was doing that for his friend And that's what breaks my heart the most about it is like you get to a point where you could see 
both of these people moving on with their lives and doing something else, but that's not what ends up happening. And it's a really difficult watch at times, but I don't want to take away from the fact that this movie is very funny. Yes, it, it has a lot of humor. Yeah, it's it's really... That's why I love it so much, and that's why like revisiting this one for me is easier, because I think mental illness is so draining and exhausting, and it's really hard sometimes in life to not get out of that funk without laughter. And I love that Jared Carmichael, when making this movie, was able to incorporate so many funny moments in something so heavy. And he does it per- perfectly. And even characters in this, like, act like I'm not a Tiffany Haddish fan by any means, but, like, she does a really good job in this movie. Everybody that's casted in this, Henry Winkler plays a drastically different role than I've ever seen him play in something. And it's just, the cast is pitch perfect, it's super simple, but it's really beautiful and it moved me a lot. Uh, I Like I said, this movie didn't make my list, but um, it is beautiful. Um, The Papa Roach bit is still one of my favorite bits in the movie. Yeah, it's, oh, it made me laugh. It made me laugh so hard. There, there's so many great moments in this, and and I love like you can just truly see that friendship in such a real light. And Christopher Abbott, talk about a slept on actor who just is amazing. Also, like yes, definitely. But I also wanted to point out the the fact that like this is a movie because I feel like, uh, and this is something that this movie did beautifully. A lot of movies that portray mental illness, they just. They make the like cookie cutter, um, sitting in the shower, crying while the shower is running, and they never get out of bed. And in this movie, I feel like it's a more realistic take. You know, as as someone that that deals with depression, and in your case too, who deals with depression, we're a lot more dark and twisted than that. <laughs> oh, one hundred percent. I thought that what really kind of set this movie apart was that scene at the beginning when Jared Carmichael was at work and he tried to hang himself in the stall. Like, I, I, I felt like that that kind of stuff, it made it so much more grounded in, like, a way that, obviously, the, like, my jaw dropped when that happened at the beginning. I was like, no way they're doing this in, like, the first ten minutes of the movie. And just from that point on, you really had no idea what to expect. And that's what was great. It was a movie that, on the surface, seems like it could be really simple, but there's so many twists and turns. Like I said, Henry Henry Winkler playing totally out of character. Like something I've never... But he does a great job. They all do. Um, it, it's just... A, it's a really... It's a tough watch, but it's also a really important watch, I feel like. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely one that it's important for people to see. And it was really interesting to find out. I still haven't seen it yet, but Jared Carmichael actually did a stand-up comedy special this year. And uh, I didn't realize that it was all about his struggle and his household coming out as gay. And obviously I feel like a lot of that translates to the ideas of on the count of three of your own like internal struggle and your own like, you know, self-identity and dealing with just carrying on life when you feel like you just don't belong. And that really translated over well. And also that stand-up comedy special that he did, Ray, uh, directed and produced by Bo Burnham. Oh, that actually makes a lot so, of sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I need I need to check it out, though. Uh, I think it's called My Name is Rothaniel, something like that. I still haven't seen it yet, but Jared Carmichael's performance in this uh, made me want to check out everything he does. And you'll be very excited to know that those two leads are both going to be main characters in the next Yorgos Lanthimos movie. Uh, of course they are. <laughs> Which I can't wait for. I'll be there. Op- and Willem Dafoe. Oh. I'm going to be there day one, baby. So that is... So there's top. our top 
20 through 11. 20 through 11. And we made that in a little bit over an hour, which means if we would have done all top 20, we'd be sitting here for over two hours. And I'm sure that you and I have a lot to say about our top 10. I would imagine we have a lot to say. Unbearable. Oh, yeah. Talent, Ray. <laughs> I have I have a feeling we're going to have quite a few crossovers on our top 10. Yeah, I agree. I think there's going to be a lot. But I also think there's going to be a lot that you won't expect that are on my top 10, which will be exciting. Yeah. I'm Well, if I'm being honest, I still haven't put together my top 10. I barely was able to put together my top my my bottom ten, my bottom 20 it's it, it was a very very difficult choice so yeah so that was our uh 20 through 11 did you have anything that you watched this week that you wanted to mention besides all of these movies <laughs> yes besides all of these movies um no it's it was pretty much me jamming as many of these as i potentially could um i will i do unless you have something to add i, I did want to touch on something real quick but unless you yeah, unless ahead. you have something to add that you wanted to bring up that you watched this week. Oh, you're totally fine. What did you want to add? Oh, well, I just, I wanted to bring up something super quick. Because um, we still have, we, we can use an, an extra 5-10 minutes. Um, we are notorious for music, right? Um, since we have a little time, I wanted to, uh, if you wanted to, just briefly mention our favorite albums of the year. Oh, that's going to be a difficult choice. If you want to start, you got to give me some time to wrap my brain. <laughs> well it doesn't have to it doesn't you don't have to like rank them just name them randomly they don't have to be in any particular order so how many you want me to give you that's the question um you want to do five or ten five's fine okay let's five, do five. five five seems manageable <laughs> okay what are what were your your top five records of the year just real quick you don't have to go into details you can just mention them so in no particular order, my five favorite my five favorite albums of the year. Wow, this is hard. Uh, my five favorite albums of the year were uh, Tom Berlin's "I Don't Know Who Needs to Hear This," uh, Biba Doobie's "Beatopia," Black Country "New Roads," Ants from Up There, um, Rat Tallies in My Car, and then the self titled Muna record. What are your five favorite albums of the year? I need to check out that Muna record. You're not the only person that has brought this record up to my attention. It's it, it's it's a phenomenal pop record. Oh, uh, okay. So for me, my top five were, um, and I do have a particular order because I recently did my ranking on Instagram. Number five was Angel in Real Time by Gang of Utes. Um, number four is Lose Your Delusion by A Wild Home Scream. Number three was The Shape of Everything by Soam. Number two was the self-titled album by Sparta. And number one was No Oblivion by No Devotion. I knew that No Devotion uh, record was going to be your number one. Although I did I did think Norma Jean's new record would break your top five. They were number six. Oh, so close though. They were number so six. Um, but yeah, these were the records that No Devotion hit me in, in ways that... Oh. I can't even begin to describe, or I can. You just have to look at my Instagram over at Analog C. It was really hard for me, uh, but that Tom Berlin record, uh, she's a singer-songwriter, and that entire record is about being a minister's kid and like having a struggle with oh. your having a struggle with internally with your faith, and uh, so a lot of the lyricism on that record really wrecked me. Uh, very, it, it was definitely on repeat a lot this year. Oh, what's the name of the record again? It's it's called I don't know who needs to hear this. Uh, but most of most of it is about being a minister's kid, struggling with your own faith and your own identity, uh, 
being that Sarah, the lead uh, musician, is is a queer person, dealing with that on top of being a minister's kid. Something I can resonate with pretty heavily. So. No. Um, How? Uh, but, but but yeah, it's a really it's a really beautiful folk record. Uh, I actually got to see her live in Columbus, and it was just absolutely amazing. So. Yeah, that's a record that uh, if those themes interest you at all, check it out. Yeah, I just looked it up because that does sound actually really cool. So, yeah, those are some records we liked. Obviously, you know, normally we do the big announcement for next week's episode, but our announcement is we're going to talk about our top 10 favorite films of the year. Uh, no surprise there. I'm re- I am excited to see our crossover and where things are going to land. As always, you can follow us at the Film Monsters Podcast. We'll announce when uh, episodes are coming out. You can follow Ray and I on our personal Instagrams at My Exit Unfair and Analog C. And uh, since this will be coming out beforehand, we just all really want to wish you a happy new year and say that we really appreciate you for listening. And uh, it's been a really fun year. I can't believe this is going to be episode like 32, I think. So we've done 32 episodes, which I got to look at our little Spotify wrapped thing uh, where we publish and it said we published 85% more than other podcasters on Spotify, which was an amazing statistic. Wow. Yeah, and uh, it seems like our episode counts are going up and people are enjoying it. So if you've been listening, we really appreciate it. And thank you guys so much for listening. So much. Happy New Year's. And we'll catch you. We'll catch you on the flip side.